Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hey, what's going on, all you dog-loving peeps out there? Tom Davis here, America's canine educator. This is the No Bad Dogs podcast, the podcast where we love, live, and of course, we work with dogs. How the heck is everyone doing? We are wrapping up the end of 2020. Dun, dun, dun. And uh, I've been off the grid on, on the podcasting for a bit. Just I had a move, and we had the holidays. Now I'm back in my home office, and... Uh, we're ready to get back to work, people moving into 2021. I appreciate everybody's uh, support, and I appreciate everybody listening. This podcast has been ranked in the top 10 to 15 in the United States in the last year and a half because of you guys just uh, support it. So I appreciate you from the bottom of my heart, as always. Thank you, guys. Uh, we're going to jump right into this podcast, guys, and uh, this is going to be one of my online sessions. This is with a young healer. Um, that's really dealing with a lot of reactivity, healer stuff, if you will. We're going to go through uh, the process, the exercises, and the proofing of what we need to do with a dog that's reactive, uh, what we need to do to figure out the breed of the dog as well as the the foundation of how this dog was raised and things like that. So online session, a lot of success, really happy with it. I hope you guys enjoy it. Let's get into it. Hello. Hey, it's Tom. How are you? Good, how are you? Good, thanks. All right, so uh, let's start off. Just tell me what's going on. So I have a one-year-old Texas healer, and from an early age, he's one, and he started showing signs of aggression. I don't believe he's a truly aggressive dog. I mean, I've watched every single one of your YouTube videos and podcasts, so I know that I don't believe he's a truly aggressive dog, but he hates it seems like he hates anything he doesn't know he's not afraid to show his teeth he's not afraid to lunge or bite he does have a bite history um and so when i started researching on like what to do i found your channel and your channel has helped us a lot he can heal perfectly on or off leash he knows the place command perfectly um, he's really obedient, but with people he doesn't know, 
he will growl at them and I have the prong collar, the Herm Springer prong collar. I have the dog thread to ADC. Um, I have found that it takes a lot of time for him to trust one person. Mm-hmm. And um, I do a lot of training with him, like in Cal Ranch. I have a muzzle on him. I have his prong collar. Um, and we'll just train to try and get him adjusted to like new environments and everything. And he's getting a lot better with that, but he just looks like a nervous wreck when we're in there <laughs> training, trying to get him used to strangers and show him that there's more people than just us. And he, he really only likes me, my parents and my husband. And that's, that's it. <laughs> he's, he, we've got like a handful of people we can trust, but I mean, he's like she said, slowly working at trusting people, but kind of, you know, how do we get him to trust everybody to the extent that we can allow him to just be okay and off leash when people come over or even take him to the park and not worry about him. It's, it's taking quite a bit of time to get him where he is now, but is there something more we could be doing to kind of speed this up? Because it's, it's kind of, it's kind of like he's never going to get to that point at this pace. He'll be two in April, so we've had him for almost a year. Um, and he, like, we hike a lot. And when we come across other people, we'll sit off the path. And he'll patiently wait for them to pass. And it's like 50-50. He's going to mm-hmm. be perfectly fine with the person passing or he's going to freak out. And, you know, I think safety is my number one. And I have the muzzle. I have the training tools. Um, I'm trying to make him feel safe and okay, but like my mom said, I just don't know if there's like a faster way to do it or if this is something I should accept that he's always going to be a little fearful of everything. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I think it's, first I want to talk about when the, when did the, when did this start happening? When did the aggression and going after people start happening? So the first thing I noticed is when we took him to meet my aunt's dog, um, he was just fine. And then the neighbor's dogs booked it outside. There was like three of them and they ran right over to Rizzo and my aunt's dog. And from then, that's the first sign I saw because it seemed like he was trying to defend himself. He was showing teeth. He started nipping at them. And so then I pulled him away and put him in the car. Um, We probably had him a couple months before this started, don't you think? Yeah. Have you had him as a puppy? Yeah. Yeah, we bought him from a lady from a local listing. And when I went to go pick him up, he was literally stuck under a third row of a suburban car. And so Mm -hmm. I was like... You know, I don't know anything about his past. The lady wouldn't really share any information. And so she had to get him unstuck. And he refused to come in the house for the first four or five days. He was so scared of coming in. Um, So I don't know anything about his background other than other than I just found him stuck under the car. Yeah. So I was just going to say, like, you know, for me, it's it's a lot of the reality of, of working with dogs, especially younger dogs, um, is, is understanding where they came from. Their, you know, their pedigree breeding is such a big role in how we behave, you know, as dogs and sometimes even as people. I think it's, 
important for us to to kind of you know peel those layers off a little bit and and go through the process of we had a dog that wasn't stable immediately when you got him so you, there's a probability of of some behavioral things rising in the future not always i mean i've had dogs where they've dogs are pretty resilient to be honest i mean dogs have been abused and whatever and they come out on top and they just are the happiest loving dogs in the world so it's not it's not every time but yeah. it is something i like to look at to say hey the first time i went and got this dog he was you know hiding under a car and not coming out so we have lack of socialization we obviously have lack of responsibility prob I, I would assume as a breeder because somebody comes to buy one of your puppies and they're stuck under a car and won't come out yeah. I mean you know that's a it is what it is I'm not I don't you know I don't want to dwell too much on the past it doesn't that doesn't matter as much um, as what we need to do in the future because it doesn't matter if it was you or if it was you know the guy down the road who adopted the dog it would have been the same probably uh, behavioral outcomes in the future but it's definitely something to consider and be mindful of that hey maybe I think I think the point is is you didn't do anything necessarily wrong uh, it's probably just a product of you know what the dog's pedigree is and their foundation in the beginning the imprinting work that breeders do with dogs in the beginning is pretty crucial especially when you're dealing with like this type of dog any type of healer aussie uh shepherds working dogs dogs that are uh, i guess historically supposed to be working as a job you know f full time the imprinting that you do with them in the beginning stages is to really develop what they're going to become in the future and it's a responsibility thing, but it's also kind of one of those things. It sounds like, um, where, so what, do, what do you do with Rizzo now? I mean, what's his daily routine? Um, give me the breakdown of what you do with him on a daily basis. Um, on a, we don't hike every day, but we do like to hike very often. He does go on a lot of walks. Um, we also do walk to the park down the street, and we have the little chucket thrower, and his recall is really good. Um, and we like to walk around our block and then up the street, and up the street there's two big mastiffs that he is very reactive to. Mm -hmm. um, but once I got the Herm Springer, I was like, well, this is a perfect training opportunity. <laughs> and so then we started working on that, and the Herm Springer really works, but really just kind of playing and walking every day. And then in the summertime, we go paddle boarding multiple times a week. Mm -hmm. uh, we were hiking the last couple days. Um, so he is very active and we do do a lot with him. We take him anywhere that we can, but in a safe way, of course. Mm -hmm. And he, he does get training sessions. I wouldn't say every day. She, she recently moved out. So she's primarily been the one that's done all the training. So she, she does come over multiple times a week and does have training sessions with him and works with him. I wouldn't say he's getting it every day. Okay. Um, all right. And he's living, where is the Rizzo living now? At my parents' house with okay. me, my husband. Okay. Um, all right. So. And we have another dog too. Maybe we should let you know that now. Okay. Is he good with the other dog? 
Yeah. yeah, he's really good, but I've noticed like with his breed, I know he's a healer. Yeah. He nips at heels. He does love to nip at her heels, but he knows the leave it command. So we are always saying Rizzo, leave it, and then he'll leave her alone. And then a few minutes later, he thinks he can get away with it, with it again. So then we say Rizzo, leave he is, it. And he, he is pretty it. dominant with her, but not in a dangerous way. Yeah. yeah. He he a playful way for him, but he's pretty dominant. Okay. He he used to not um share his toys per se mm-hmm. um he used to resource guard everything but now he doesn't do that anymore he's good with that now he knows okay presley can have a turn to fetch the ball rizzo can have a um turn to fetch the ball so he's now sharing now um but he overall he's really good with our other dog okay yeah i was gonna say um that's good that's good but Moving forward from that, I I think it, you know getting down to the reason why you guys called is like the reactivity. I mean, obviously my goal and my job is is to always try to change the perception of the dog's uh, issues. Meaning, if he's lunging at people, I want him to feel like he doesn't have to lunge at people, and not necessarily just make him not lunge at people because he's going to get punished. Although. In my opinion, I think that suppressing a behavior is better if you can't modify it. Suppressing it is better because okay. there's certain dogs who literally just won't ever change. They don't like okay. my like example, like my one of my personal dogs, like just doesn't like other dogs. And I know that and I can control that. He's he's successful and he's fine. Um, and I have to advocate him for him often. But the point is, yeah. is <clears throat> him being around other dogs. It, that that modification isn't changed of like he, he, all of a sudden he likes dogs and it's not necessarily suppressed to a point where he's like always constantly wanting to go after dogs and he's sitting there waiting for an opportunity but he know he doesn't like the other dogs but he also respects that he can't go after the other dogs and he's chill and he relaxes so my point is is in this situation um those are like the two things that we're going to be talking about those are the two like outcomes we're going to be talking about the two um, big things that are going to be our goals is to try to modify the behavior and try to change that uh, thinking of the dog and how he perceives the other dogs. So with Rizzo or other people, or both, I guess. Um, so Rizzo with other people, when you're out, walk me through like a situation that you commonly will deal with that's problematic for you that you'll see a lot. Um, so... I'm trying to think of like which situation to use. Um, really in more like public places, um, like when I take him hiking, we'll walk. Um, if I can see clear on the path ahead of me, mm-hmm. he'll be off leash. He'll stay right by me and everything. If I see someone coming, we'll put him on leash. And I usually watch his behavior and look at the other dogs or other person as well. Mm-hmm. Um, if I have enough space to where we can walk right past him, he'll be fine. I can just say, Rizzo, leave it. He'll, he'll, um, redirect his attention on me rather than the subject. Um, but if it's a tire space and I can tell that the dog is kind of wild, Mm -hmm. we'll pull off to the path. I'll stand in front of him and tell him to sit. Mm -hmm. And then as they pass, I watch his behavior. Cause I know you say, don't let the dog get to a boiling point. Um, so I try and watch for that. And but of course, the closer the either the person or the dog is to him, the more more likely he is to lunge, to, to growl, show his teeth, 
it, I, I wouldn't say it's every time, but there's yeah. definitely, I mean, there's. It's like if the other dog or the other person is interested in Rizzo or tries to pet him without asking, um, which I would never let someone pet him for everybody's safety, whether he has a muzzle on or not. Um, and same with other dogs, because I know other dogs are nice. And if they come over and want to say hi to Rizzo, he doesn't like that. He wants his space to be respected, and he doesn't like anybody or anything in his personal space. And it's 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 somewhat random. It's there. Yeah, it's I, random. I can't pick anything out that's specific. I mean, majority and most of the time, nobody tries to approach him or anything. If we have him out in public, the muzzle's on, and of course, people it kind of gives the people the indication and I, leave the dog alone, which which they do. And even if they do leave him alone and they're walking by, they're still. It's random. It, it's just random. He still tries to lunge or growl. But I tell people, I say he's working on his social skills because I don't want people to be too scared. But I want them to understand that he's in training. He's working on himself. Sure. So is it just to, uh, I guess, go back to this is you. So the real problem is, is when, so you're fine if you have some space, but he kind of gets reactive when you have tighter spaces or when dogs come up to him off leash and things like that. Yeah. Okay. But at home as well. I mean, if he's at a distance from people, you know, he's on a leash, he, he still shows signs of aggression with, you know, if someone's at the house and he sees them, if someone's at the fence, he gets super aggressive. Even at a distance, but it's, yeah, it's, you, it still happens at a distance. What are you guys doing to correct it? Say you're out for a walk, he sees another dog, you have a tighter space, maybe a sidewalk where you can't cross the road. What's your what's your process? What do you do handling wise? Um, I have the her or yeah, I have the Herm Springer on and I tell him to leave it. If he looks like he's trying to go to react, then I just give him the little the little pop and we just keep walking. Okay. Um if it's if the situation's rising, then we'll just either change directions, create more distance, let the other people know, hey, like, my dog's not going to be okay with you, or yeah, kind of read the situation. Now, how does he respond to the corrections when you correct him? The first time I corrected him, he bit me mm-hmm. in the knee. Mm-hmm. Um, but from then on with the corrections, he's like, okay, mom. Okay, like I get it. Yep. Yeah, he so, generally listens to the correction. He does. Yeah. Okay. But there's the the unknown of of how how much she's gonna lunge, how much she's gonna growl, how much she's gonna try to go towards the dog or the person. Right. So you know, and I, and I talk about this a lot. My videos and stuff is if you have a dog that is reactive to other dogs and you get into a tight spot, there's there's not much you can do. So for me, it's there's there's a lot of. Um, I guess I, I don't want to say management, but it is a lot of management on your end of like where you go, where you bring him. Same thing again, if, if I had, you know, with one of my dogs, if they don't like other dogs, I'm not going to be able to change that and modify that. I can manage yeah. it where I'm not going to go to places where there's off leash dogs. I'm not going to go to places where dogs are. And, and that's, you know, that's just the world that we live in where that could literally happen anywhere at any time, unfortunately. <clears throat> Excuse me. But, um, I think it is important for you to make sure that you're go- you're not you're not trying to bite off more than you can chew and try to you know stick a triangle in a square square peg where he's never gonna be okay potentially. I mean, there's a potential, I guess I should say, there's a potential of him never 
being comfortable and well-behaved in close encounters with dogs he doesn't know. And in my opinion, um, that's somewhat respectable because your success is going to be predicated from the other dog's training. So if you're out and Rizzo's in a nice heel paying attention to you and and minding his own business and the other dog is on a flexi as their owner is sending an email, there's... there's nothing you can do to make that situation better other than to look at it and go, I got to, I got to get out of here. This isn't good for anybody, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's the first layer to peel off is just saying, just avoid places where there's going to be habitual nonstop, you know, dog owners just not being responsible, which is pretty much anywhere. Um, so giving yourself some space, not going down those small spaces, not going down those small roads, um, having a game plan to say if a, that's what I do. I mean, when I'm out for a walk, um, in places that I'm un, unsure of, and I don't know where dogs are going to potentially be and things like that, I have a, I say, okay, here's what I'm going to do if something happens. And it sucks that I even have to do that because it has nothing to do with my dogs. It has everything to do with other people's dogs. Because I, I know that my dogs are going to be responsive because I've spent the time to train with them. That's, you know, so other people's dogs are going to be, unfortunately, the, you know, deciding factor on <clears throat> whether or not you're going to be successful or not, which sucks. But um, it's just the reality of, of what we have to deal with as dog owners in general. So anyway, there's that. But <clears throat> also um, – making sure that your leave it command is being associated with the correction properly. So a lot of people go out, put the prong collar on and they're very inconsistent with their verbal cues. Um, so if he reacts and you say, no, pop, leave it, pop, stop, pop, it's just a puppy pop, whatever. That's not going to create that conditioning that we want. So the, you know, the other thing with corrections, just like when we teach dog's behaviors with food like when we're teaching with motivation right we want the dog to learn a behavior through motivation which is great i mean that's a huge part of of any type of training it doesn't matter if you're teaching kids to do good on tests and feeding them uh, you know candy after or whatever we want them to sustainably understand that this is what i want you to do and then the food kind of goes away and the reward goes away and they just learn it right same thing with corrections on that end of the spectrum of when you're adding punishment you want the verbal to, to tell the dog, like if you say leave it and then you, you condition the dog to say if you don't leave it, you're going to get punished. Therefore, in the future, like you said, he kind of like takes a step back and he says, okay, mom, I'm not going to react. That's great. You just want to make sure you have like a clear marker on that and you're not just depending on the prong collar to, to make that deciding factor. That's your enforcer, which is is important to have. That's your leverage. I mean, when you're working with dogs, we can't sit down and have a conversation with them. We have to communicate them assertively right there and then when it happens. So he reacts. You say, leave it. He continues to react. You punish him. The next time you say, leave it, he takes a step back and recluses a little bit from the situation. Good, leave it. And he goes, aha, bang, right? Operant conditioning. So in that and that, that's just the first thing, because I always like to talk about that, because a lot of people don't condition their dogs properly on the leash with any type of correction. And it doesn't matter if you're using martingale, prong collar, slip collar, e-collar, whatever. <clears throat> Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So um, there's that. But also, too, you should uh, – I always like to use 
counter conditioning obedience to get a dog out of a situation too. Um, so that means your heel and potentially your sit or your focus or your look or all of the above, which means you have to have a game plan because you can't handle the other dog and you don't know what the other dog's going to do. You have to control what you can control in order to be successful with your dog. You can't just assume, oh, well, my dog's in a perfect sit, p minding his own business. This other dog's going to do the same thing. Well, <laughs> that doesn't work like that. So you have to, you just have to have a, a game plan as a dog owner to say, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, so redirective healing, right? Something I do very often. I call it a tune up or I'll call it a calibration. But one thing that I find with dog owners who come in with any behavioral problem is the simple fact that they don't have control over their dog on a very small level, on a very novice level what makes anybody think that they're going to be able to do that, you know, when there's a distraction or there's something that they're really intrigued by, it's not going to happen. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's something that you have to pay attention to, to say, Hey, how is my obedience in general? So if you go out and you're on the leash and you say Rizzo heel and you turn at 180 and you go the other way and he just keeps going straight, that's a problem. He's not really that engaged with you. So you have to create engagement with your dog also on the leash in order to be successful with your obedience. So you, you turn and go the other way, your dog's right with you. So I, yeah. I that's that tune-up that I do often. Um, the other thing you could do is just like put him into a sit. And, you know, your sit just alone, if it's good, will help with the reactivity. I do understand. Okay. I do understand that there's a lot of variables in there about where you're at and what you can do and what you can't do with the terrain and things like that. But if you put your dog into a sit and it's great, you're probably not going to get a lot of reactivity. Okay. So, um, with the sitting for the reactivity, like when we're on a hike, um, sorry, my brain's kind of stopped working now. Mm -hmm. So what do you think would make him react? Because when we put him in a set and we're slightly off the trail, waiting for other people to pass, what do you think like makes him get up from the set? Because once he gets up, it's kind of hard yeah. to put him back into it because he just yep. wants to react. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, I have I have a feeling, you know, and this happens frequently and often with dog owners, is what makes him get up is the practice that you put outside of the situation of the sit. I mean, why do we train? Why do we teach our dog sit? Why do we teach our dog down, place, sit, stay, whatever? That's why it's important for these obedience behaviors to be really good. And that's what I was talking about with your, like, again, you came in. Right. And this happens. I mean, it's like clockwork and it's, it's so successful to break through with dogs in this manner because it really is eye opening for dog owners to realize that they don't have control of their dog on a very small level, like I said before. And so the point is, is if your dog is getting up out of their sit, that means that their sit in general hasn't been proofed or worked on well enough for them to sustainably sit no matter what happens. So your answer is, is your dog's not sitting because the obedience just isn't tight enough. 
Okay. So if you're getting into a situation where you say sit and then literally a dog walks by, bang, he pops up. That means that you need to, to work on that sit more in the context of distractions. Okay. So, I mean, should we expect that he shouldn't be getting up out of that sit at all to, right. to determine whether we've spent an amount of time on it? Right. Because yeah, that's what I've worked on a lot with him is he doesn't get up from his place until I say break. He doesn't um, stop healing until I say break. He knows not to run out the front door. Um, and, oh, this is another weird situation. So... Rizzo loves my husband, and the other day he came over with his friend. Rizzo hates his friend, um, and Rizzo had a muzzle on. I had him sitting in the front yard um, and to not move, and then I called Rizzo over to me, and he came, and he sat right next to me, and my husband Jason wanted to come say hi to Rizzo, so the friend stayed where he was. Jason came to say hi to Rizzo, and Rizzo, like, attacked him basically but he had never done that to my husband before but my thought process was his attention was focused on the friend he hates but took it out on my husband so I just thought that was really weird sure. but he's generally really comfortable with her yeah, husband he's, he's, he can be trusted right. with her husband yeah it's the same thing that you were saying before about the prong collar redirection is you you have a you have a dog that is fears no nothing okay that's their that's their job is to okay. fear nothing except like the Tasmanian devil himself <laughs> okay. i mean healers are i i healers are not great pets like ever like they okay. really really need a job i haven't seen a healer in a home do well with not a job meaning getting okay. up going to the barn uh running this running that um you know doing you know whatever they are such high caliber working dogs and if you okay. if you don't utilize them as such they will then start taking that working 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 drive out on other things <clears throat> okay but to answer your question it's the same thing you saw with the prong collar it's redirection very common okay. you have a dog that builds and boils really quickly has a lot to say has a lot to, to prove really wants to work really wants to heal and herd and get things done and we don't allow them to do it and they get ticked off and they redirect at the closest thing so same thing on the leash when Rizzo's building, 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 and then you correct him, and then he snaps, and he gets pissed, and he redirects on you. It's, just, it's the same thing. He sees that guy he doesn't like, builds, 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 builds. Your husband does anything to, to keep Rizzo from this guy, and then you know they get nailed. Very okay. common. It's not appropriate, but in theory, it does make sense, unfortunately. Okay. So how much, how much of a, a job, you know, working would, would you say he would need to have in order to be appropriate? I mean, you know, we're kind of well, limited to what the jobs could be, could be sure. running, you know, could be just going running with him. Yeah. Is it, there enough of a job to, to suffice for having, I think it's, know, I think it's going to, yeah, I think it's going to be more mental than anything. I think, I think okay. the, the, the mental, I mean, this is a dog that Every day you have to unwind. This dog wakes up, wakes up wound up like a clock. 
Okay. And you have to unwind it. And if you don't unwind it, it's just going to keep getting tighter and tighter and tighter every day until it okay. does something. And then it releases all that. I healed. You know, I'm a healer now. You know, he feels like he's done something or something like that. Or it's just, I mean, it's not. And, and again, like it, you have to read between the lines here is I, I, I don't know. Even with dogs that are in front of me, I don't know the full context. Like I, I, I need to like handle work and see a dog live their life for a couple of days before I can really tell you exactly what's going on. So I'm just, you know, again, read between the lines and everything that I say isn't going to be a hundred percent a matter of fact, because I don't know for sure. I'm just giving you, yeah. you know, a lot, a lot more information than you would just thinking on your own. <clears throat> so, um, to really answer that question is it's, it's more about mental stimulation than anything. I, I would okay. say just getting that dog out to do stuff, um, getting a prey pole, um, which is basically like a big cat toy, um, that you can play with him in the yard and getting him to run and chase things around and use that prey drive and take that frustration and unwind that clock as much as you possibly can. I know, Again, like with my personal dogs, we just got um, last week, right before Christmas, we got like 33 inches of snow. Uh, and I knew that I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to be clearing out snow for the next two days. The dogs can't move because it's over. It's literally over, you know, over their head. It's, it's up, you know, it's up to my waist. They can't go out in the snow, whatever. So my point is, is once that snow was gone or once we cleared it, like I knew I had a lot of work to unwind with my dogs because they're just so pent up and it's, it's life. I mean, it, not everybody, very rarely does somebody get to unwind their dogs every day the way that there should be. Right. Just like with us, like we don't get fulfilled every day the way that we feel like we need to, it's never going to be the perfect storm, which is normal and it's okay. Um, okay. I would say 99% of dogs in homes have jobs that they don't get to do. So it's not like, We've got this dog. Um, what the heck did we get ourselves into? But at the same time, this is you need to really be mindful of the dog you have and the caliber of dog you have. It's this animal is supposed to be historically living on a farm, chasing animals that are the size of trucks around and pushing them in different different directions all day long, sleeping outside, sleeping in the barn, sleeping you know, killing mice for food. Like these are very high caliber working dogs. And if they're not getting some of that release out in some way, it's going to stem up in other places and it's going to dilute into other places of frustration. And you're going to see it as aggression and reactivity, but really they're just bored. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. So going back to uh, a little bit more of the obedience, because that's that's the most important thing here is yeah. when you're on your trail and you're walking and you ask Rizzo to sit and he doesn't, that's that's an that's an immediate response oh, to your okay. obedience, right? So, okay. and and I want to go back to what you said because I appreciate and respect and understand the things that you're saying. Although as a professional, I have to be devil's advocate and say it doesn't really matter because. Yeah. A lot of people do obedience in an unrealistic environment that isn't reality. And so you kind of trick your mind to say, my dog will sit down, stay and heal or whatever inside the house with literally virtually almost nothing going on. Or if we do it outside, it's not in a realistic environment where there's other dogs and things like that, which is totally normal. I mean, th that's normal. It's not your fault. It's not a bad thing. But I, I, 
my job is to tell you that there is a significant difference between the two because you're going to be frustrated as heck sitting there going, he sits, you know, before I feed him every night, he stays, he doesn't la 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 la, right? And it goes down the line. But then when you go outside, it's whoop, what's this? That's normal. But at the same time, you have to understand that there's a significant difference between the two environments, significant for the dog. So you just have to um, copy and paste the things that you're doing inside to outside and really audit where you're at with your obedience, which means you have to start working a little bit more outside. Um, You also have to start working inside with more distractions. So putting them into a sit stay and you know, throwing the throwing treats across the room, uh, getting the other dog to run around, get, you know, stuffed dogs, ring the doorbell, knock on the, do all this stuff that is out of normal for him. Because if you put him into a routine, in, an obedience routine every night before he eats or whatever, it really, it doesn't matter in the real life. Because that's like, you know what I mean? That's really, yeah. I tell people all the time, like when they come in, their dog knows, you know, sit down, stay heel, whatever. I can't tell you I, – I, there's a very high percentage of those dogs who won't do that out of context of the routine or without, like, the hand command of, like, sit because I have food, which I demonstrate a lot. I demonstrate a lot to, to people where they think their dog knows sit, and I'm not going to lie. Most of the dogs that come in don't know sit. I know that that sounds silly, and you're like, how is that possible? But dogs get into such a routine that if we hold a piece of treat up in the air or even our arms to fake like we have a piece of food and we say Pizza Hut, cheesecake, uh, carrots, uh, whatever, the dog's going to sit. They don't actually know the behavior in an isolated thing, which means it doesn't exist. Your sit doesn't matter. So if you look at your dog right now, Rizzo sit, and he doesn't sit, and he goes, what's that? You know, or down or whatever. And, and, and again... I take this with a grain of salt. I'm not saying that your dog doesn't know sit. I'm just saying that yeah. keep into consideration and you have to audit and be honest with yourself because after this phone call, it's that's all that matters is like, okay, we need to really figure out what he knows well and what he just, what we think he knows. And a lot of times dogs don't know what they think they know. And they're like, well, at home and with food and with treats. And I'm like, right, that's good. It's a good start, but it doesn't matter. If your dog can't do it, in a semi-realistic environment like just being outside with no distractions and you ask your dog to sit and they won't sit for more than 10 seconds that's a problem the reactivity shouldn't matter because you can't get past that very small step do you know what i mean yeah so just keep that in mind and that's something that you'll have to like work through moving forward of okay again going back to the very basics and that's why I asked you, what's your normal thing? Well, if we go out for a walk in a trail and we're on a hike, and we ask him to sit about five seconds later, if he sees another dog, he's up. So to me, I, I stop right there. I'm like, I don't care what he does after that. I don't care how reactive he is, how nasty he is, or how happy he is, how excited he is. Your sit is being, your, your basic, very basic obedience is being broken after five seconds two seconds, 10 seconds, whatever. And that's why I always tell people, if you have, you know, like I said in the beginning, if you have behavioral problems, I don't care about them if your obedience is not good because you can't, that's like trying to build a house without a foundation where you're like, no, just just put the wood up and, and let's just live in there. It's like, no, there's so much groundwork 
and foundation that has to be built before you you have a really structured strong house so i i don't want to say i don't care in a sense of it doesn't matter because it does i'm just saying if you go out and you you ask him to to sit and he doesn't immediately like your obedience is something you should be focusing more on instead of how do i shut this off versus what are the things and the behaviors and the obedience i need to help modify this shut off okay makes perfect sense cool so that's going to be my suggestion and we're going to talk about that a little bit more but you, you have to work on those types of things. And again, you have to get creative. That's all up to you. It's in your hands to go out and work on that sit for long periods of time and, you know, do it around squirrels and, you know, go out and find a distraction. Go out and find okay. maybe a dog in a yard that's barking at you or two squirrels fighting in a tree or something that he's interested in. Put him in a sit and see where okay. you're at. Catch him. Say no. And then, but your communication and your relationship also has to like be good too. Cause then you have to be able to tell him break and things like that. You have to be able to tell him like, okay, now you can break. Cause that's the other thing a lot of people struggle with is they tell their dog what they can and can't do, but they never give them a very formal, clear, okay, now you can be a dog. So you're never happy because you're doing something unrealistic that nobody in the world can ever do. Can't ever get a dog to work all day, every day, all the time. It's never going to happen for anybody. So you have to take into consideration, you know, how well your relationship with him is too. So if you go out and you ask him to heal or sit or focus or whatever and you're only doing it in times when you see a dog it's not going to be good because two things happen is you're setting him up to do obedience and you're conditioning him that if you ask him to do something he's going to be searching for that other dog so you want to mix it up as much as possible so you're going out and you're asking him to sit good sit you may bring some treats or his favorite toy and you can pay him after and you switch up and you mix the the duration and the distraction and all that stuff and you get really good at it and then you give him a break and that break is you know important for him and it's important for you that when you say break okay now you can be a dog or whatever and you're not going to do that every time you see a dog you're going to randomly do that that way when you need it it's it's like clockwork it's no big deal um and it's clear for him you know too i think that that's the that's that's important important for for him too is if you ask him to sit right and and you do say you go on an hour walk just to make it easy you go on an hour walk hike type thing and every 10 to 15 minutes you put him into a sit and you hold it for 30 seconds and you give him a break 30 seconds to 45 seconds whatever and then you give him a break well if you see three dogs your your sit Obe- you know, your sit and stay obedience is going to be outweighing the realistic time that, you know, you actually need it. So he's not going to think anything of it, but you have to practice it. You can't, that's what people do is they go out and they only want to heal their dog. If there's another dog or a distraction, they only want to sit their dog. If it's, if it's, you know, there's a, a bus or whatever, whatever the environment is, you know, whenever there's that, they need that, but you need to make sure you're going out and you're practicing. Hey, can we sit? Can we stay? Can we, you know, whatever. That's that's huge because 
too many times people will only try to do obedience that's kind of half in an environment that is geared towards, oh, there's a dog. Because then the dog triggers off obedience. You've conditioned the dog to know that when you ask him to sit, there's going to be a dog. Something like that. So, anyway, there's there's a lot of that going into it. But the majority of my consulting and my training really goes back down to your basic foundational obedience. And that's what I would highly suggest you to work on. Now, okay. um, there's that. Uh, the other thing about inside, things like that. You know, we go back to obedience. So... Um, your dog's inside. Uh, he's obviously not trained well enough to be off leash. So I would keep him on the leash for a bit, you know, and and then the question is, how is his place? How is his stay? Things like that. Because you got to think like as an animal, you have to have really good. I mean, sometimes you just get good genetics and dogs don't care when people walk in and they're like, yeah, whatever. Um, and then other times dogs, you know, come up, wag their tail, and then they go lay down after they investigate. But with Rizzo, somebody's going to come in, and he's going to be, A, already wound up like a clock, B, a healer. <laughs> so he's going to be right there, like, great, I have something to do now, thank you very much. And C, his obedience and your relationship with him may be lacking. Therefore... Okay. Like, if somebody came... So, and again, I don't want you to think... to ha- I don't want you to have an unrealistic... um objective to say that my dog's not going to react when people come over and ring the doorbell, walk in, whatever. That's not realistic. My dogs, if somebody rang my doorbell right now, my dogs would bark. I don't care. That's, I'd like that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Now, but now go lay down, go to your place, go to your bed, yeah. whatever. And then again, that's where like you have to really audit. Cause I, I think in situations like this, people are just trying to turn off that dog like the dog in them, you try to turn it off. When you're asking a living, breathing animal to, you know, to live with you and, and coexist with you and your family, and we just want them to do the things that we want them to do without like, you know, you have to think like what type of uh, training have you done to really make that successful? And so that's where... Again, the obedience comes in. How is your place command? Well, not good. It doesn't really exist. So what are you supposed to do then? I mean, if if somebody comes and rings your doorbell, what type of plan and what type of obedience do you have other than grabbing the collar and telling the person to hold on and just wheeling the dog away into the crate into the other room? Not that that's bad because that's successful, but it's not getting you to a point where then you can have people over successfully because then you're building that tension and that frustration as the dog's away, that suppression, right? The dog yeah. is like still wanting to get out of that room and just go nip that person until they leave or whatever. So again, that's where your obedience comes in. Teach them to go to their bed on command. Teach them to down. Teach them to stay. And then you have to proof that out for a long period of time in order for you guys to remotely be successful. You can't just teach them go to your bed or go to your place, down stay, in a week and then say, okay, yeah, like it, let's have people over. That takes a lot of incremental, uh, work, you know? Mm-hmm. Makes sense. But I would keep him on a leash. And when, when you have people over work on your, leave it, work on your down, your place in a place. Like if you watch, you know, my videos and talk about sending your dog to a location, sending your dog to a place. I mean, that's so big for, that's like one of the big commands and behaviors that I teach dogs because it's just so relationship building too. 
it's a micro macro type thing. The small picture is, is your dog's learning how to go to a targeted area on command. But the bigger picture is, is you're taking the steering wheel every time you tell your dog to do that. So you go to your place, the dog can't get off that place till you break him or recall him. Your dog has to be on this, you know, location until you say otherwise. And that creates that threshold and that relationship of like, okay, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to stay here until you tell me I, I can get off. You know, just like with kids, it's like, go to your room until I tell you otherwise. Why? It doesn't matter. You know, you don't want to have that conversation of like constant because I said so, because it just, just respect it and understand that it's, it's for everyone's best benefit or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's going to be your inside game plan. Obedience, leash work, prong collar. I mean, you can use the e-collar if you'd like, but that's got to be like, you know, introduced to a point where he understands the kid, the conditioning process and he understands the stimulation and all that stuff. Did my screen just go weird? Yeah, it just went real weird. <laughs> I don't know why. I've never seen that. I haven't either. One second. Yeah, that's okay. Okay, I don't yeah. know why I did, but it worked. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway. Yeah. So what about when he's he's outside? I mean we try to keep the e-collar on him when he's outside, we're in the house and he just cuts loose whether, you know, when he sees anything beyond the fence and, you know, I've, I've tried to use the e-collar when he's outside and sometimes he's so worked up that the e-collar doesn't phase him. He just wants what he wants so bad. And it, it's constant. It doesn't matter how much he's been worked with that day. It doesn't matter how much he's been gotten sure. his energy out. It's, it's consistent. Sure. And that's, and again, and that's, that's something that like, you know, as human beings, we have to respect too, as, as an, you know, as, as an animal is doing, you know, like the birds are chirping, tell them to quiet down. It's like, no, it's what they do. Yeah. You know, dogs yeah. are, they're dogs, you know, they're going to see dogs on the other side of the fence. They're going to want to go and create that frustration and bark. And it's just, it's so like, and I, you know, I, I don't, I don't, um, you know, I don't get overworked about those little things that dogs are dogs. I mean, I, I, I don't mind it because, I think at the end of the day, you know, the template is going to be the same about, okay, don't try to train your dog not to be a dog. Train your dog to listen to you when they're being a dog. You know what I mean? Yeah. So would you, you know, would you suggest going out there, you know, having, giving him the commands to come to you, to sit, to come, what, you know, sometimes depending on what the situation is outside, he will, you tell Rizzo come and he comes, but it only seems mm-hmm. to be... Like with one dog, one neighbor dog who can do that with, everything else is off limits. Yeah, it's the so, same. You know, should we be running outside and, and doing the commands every time he goes out there? Well, I think it's the same template as the sit. It's the same thing. It's like, hey, I asked my dog to sit, and in some circumstances he does it, and then others he doesn't. What gives? It's like, no. He'll listen under certain circumstances because it's convenient yeah. for him, and he's not conditioned to do anything you know, more than that. We haven't, we haven't pushed him over that ledge of conditioning, you know, and that's, that's just part of training. It's just like with us as human beings, like we want to learn how to run long distance, right? Well, where do we start? We don't go out and say, Hey, and and that's basically the question that I'm hearing. And I know you're not, you don't, that's what I hear when we ask those questions, just so you know, is like, I want to, you know, I'm your coach. I'm your consultant. I've, you know, I've done what you want to do a thousand times or more, you know? 
and you say, I, I want to learn how to run to be a long distance runner of, of you know, 50, 50 miles every three, whatever, right? And you're telling me, yeah, I, I tried 20 miles yesterday and it just, I, I, I wasn't doing good. And I'm like, yeah, that, duh, you're not there yet. You can't, you can't start off with 20 miles a day. You can't even do three yet. You got to slow it down and let's create a, let's create a, you know, a strategy here of what you can accomplish realistically per day. And that's the same thing with what I'm hearing is my dog is off leash. Sometimes he listens. Sometimes he doesn't. What gives? What do we do? Well, how's your recall? How's your off leash recall? Where, where does that exist? How much have we worked on it? How good is it? And that's going to be your answer. Not that great. Not that responsive. Um, you know, how, you know, how much have we used e-collar conditioning in a non-corrective way to communicate things like that? That's the template that's going to keep coming up for you guys, which it does for a lot of people. You're having, you're having normal behavioral nuisance behaviors throughout the house that a lot of people deal with, but your obedience and control doesn't match that right? You're frustrated, which I get. You're like, my dog won't come back when this dog's out. But the, yeah, but it's like, where's your recall? It's not your dog isn't listening. It's because your recall isn't good. So you're not going to be able to stop him. You know, same thing with like pulling on the leash, for an example. My dog pulls on the leash. How do I stop that? You, free, you can't. Your dog has four legs. They're outside. They're breathing in all of this you know, primal stuff, birds, chipmunks, rabbit poop, deer, skunks, whatever you li- whatever your environment is. And they've never been taught how to heal and walk nicely on a leash. And you're using a harness and you're yanking and cranking and yelling. And you're frustrated that your dog won't walk nicely and won't. St- so don't try to figure out how do I stop my dog from pulling? How do I get my dog to heal? How do I teach my dog how to heal? So it's the same template of just putting in the work to teach your dog. My dog won't come back when called because they're barking at the other dog recall my dog pulls in the leash heal my dog goes after other people leave it place stay all that stuff is going to counter condition so for me it's really about if you have the most aggressive nastiest man-eating dog on the planet but your obedience is good then it doesn't matter i mean it matters you know what i mean like for me, that's what it comes down to is control. I don't care what your dog feels internally that they want to do. It's your responsibility as a dog owner to make sure you can control and holster that loaded gun, no matter if it's one end of the spectrum or the other. I would much rather have a well-behaved, aggressive dog, human-biting dog under really great control than an uncontrolled, friendly dog any day of the week. I would much rather be around a well-mannered, controlled, aggressive dog than a really uncontrolled, happy, in-your-face, scratching your whole body up, you know, jump, pulling you over. I would much rather be around an aggressive, controlled dog any day of the week. So you just have to think and audit about the control you have and how much time and energy and attention you've really put on that obedience to counter the things that you want my dog will not stop reacting how is your obedience my dog won't come back off the fence how is your recall etc those are things that you have to really like think about because i can tell you very confidently that if you work on your recall 
outside of the other dog being on the other side of the fence and you slowly transition to those environments, you're going to be a thousand times better than when you're at now. Same thing with the obedience out on a walk. Same thing with the leash work in the house when you have people over. If your place and your down stay is really great and you have that obedience to just look at your dog and they go, oops, I don't want to make a mistake. You're going to be more successful than just trying to figure it out when somebody comes over. Okay. Makes sense to me. Yeah. So anyway, guys, I think recap is just you guys getting back down to the basics and use that template. Every single time you think about a problem with your dog, think about what you've done to counter those innate primal healing uh, type of tendencies and behaviors. And like I said, it's not appropriate for your dog to bite and react. None of that is like, oh, he's a healer. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying the dog is, is meant for that. I'm saying that, that that's there. And you have to do a really great job and spend a lot. You have to spend more time with a healer to outlet those things than you would other dogs. You know, because you got a really high-end working dog that is trying to work, but it's just not doing the right thing. Okay. Okay. All right. Perfect. I know it's a lot of information, but... uh, just, just work on it. Be consistent. I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, to be consistent. Make sure you're enforcing things. Your equipment is fit properly. Things are charged. Um, do the best you can to, you know, watch different videos uh, on the internet and, you know, purchase. You know, there's things you can purchase too for whatever. And and just try to do your research on on how to do everything properly. And um, I think that you guys will be in a better spot. One other quick question. So trying to brush his teeth and groom him same situation aggressive you know just kind of slowly work up to it you know with using those yeah. all, all those commands or is there another way yeah, to approach that i think it's more about um just desensitization and, and conditioning um naturally dogs don't like it they don't like it they don't like somebody jamming something in their mouth and they don't like right. you know getting their nails trimmed it's a very natural thing for dogs to absolutely hate so you have to do the best you can to condition that dog and desense, you know, get the nail trimmer out, touch your dog's paw with it, walk away. And you have to do that for, you know, a hundred times a day until they condition. They're never going to love it. They're never going to sit there and go, cheese, and hold their paws up like, you know, right. cut my nails and brush my teeth. It's something you have to condition. And sometimes, again, it's one of those things that you have to, you have to almost um make them do it because they don't like doing it and right. we have un, you know sometimes there's things you can't do just because we're humans and they're animals doesn't mean we can change everything all the time and we can modify and make them like certain things that's not fair for us to think they yeah. they it's normal oh my dog hates their nails being trimmed and their teeth brushed yeah so does every other dog ever <laughs> you know unless they can they were conditioned at a very young age to come and get that done they're i mean think about it how many how often do we try to trim nails and brush teeth once every x amount once every month once every three months six months once every year once every whatever it's something that they're not used to and it's gonna take them time to condition to it and it's very normal so you just have to understand that what that problem is is very normal and you just have to spend some time conditioning it and desensitizing with it okay all right all right good okay 
All right, you guys, it was nice to meet you. Have a wonderful day, and uh, good luck with everything, okay? Okay. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate right. it. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Wrapping up this podcast, you guys saw, you know, a lot of the, the things that I talk about frequently is the template of if you have a problem with your dog, you really have to figure out what your solutions are, what your obedience is going to do. As you guys may or may not see some of my YouTube videos where somebody comes in with a behavioral problem, one of the first things I talk about is where's your obedience at? You don't like your dog pulling. You don't like your dog barking. How's your heel? How's your leave it? Where's your engagement? Where's your relationship? So I'm going to keep working hard at trying to educate and help people out with their dogs and motivate people to continue to work with their dogs and get better. As always, I appreciate you guys so much uh, for, for following along with this process. And it's got its ups and downs with consistency, I know. Um, and that's, that's, you know, the world is is a crazy place and things get busy and uh, we're, we had a lot of exciting things coming up for this next year. Um, as I'm sure a lot of people do for 2021, it's a year to look forward to, to get over 2020. Although I will say I'm very grateful 2020 was a, a groundbreaking um, year for us, for sure. Um, lots of, lots of exciting things to come. I can't wait to share with you guys. Um, we got a lot of different, uh, new things going on in the YouTube channel, new equipment, new branding. Uh, the upstate canine Academy logo has been rebranded and the Tom Davis logo is in the process of being rebranded. So lots of new merchandise, lots of new stuff for 2021. And, uh, we got some exciting news to hopefully announce in the next couple of weeks. So anyway, Thank you guys for rolling with me, hanging out with me. I hope you have a wonderful day. If you haven't yet, do me a solid favor. Follow us on Instagram, at Tom Davis, at Upstate Canine Academy. Leave us a review on your podcasting platform. Screenshot this, share it on your Instagram. Tag me. I'll repost you and uh, congratulate and thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you guys. Anyway, I'll talk to you later. Bye. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. 
everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real Traveler Reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.